first slide? Oh, see? See? I, I, I'm getting me for not being ready, and they're not ready. There we go. <clears throat> Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. That is this week. Hallelujah. It's a great day. Another one of the feasts um, that we're going to have. Uh, go to the next slide. There are seven feasts that God gave his people, and these are the ones that are there. The Feast of Passover was fulfilled by the crucifixion of Jesus, which is our justification. Unleavened bread, which uh, related to the burial of Christ and our sanctification. First fruits was the resurrection of Jesus and our glorification. Harvest was the descent of the Holy Spirit and power. The interval of three months was the current age of the church, which is the church kingdom. Trumpets, which we talked about last week, gathering of the church, the rapture, the day of atonement, second coming, Jewish remnant, tabernacles, and inauguration of the millennial kingdom. Now, we see that the first four feasts, like I told you last week, uh, were fulfilled by Christ. And it showed how that when they were fulfilled. I guess I should put the dates of Passover and Lumber first for harvest and then Pentecost. So <clears throat> those have been fulfilled. The only ones that haven't is trumpets, day of atonement, tabernacles. And as you can see, we're still here. So, <laughs> oh, well. I don't know specifically if that's when the church is going to go home, but that's what I personally believe. You can believe what you want. Theologians have as many theologians as they have reasons. And my theology is just as good as theirs. I've done a lot of studying myself, and uh, those are the things I've come up with. But the sacrifices and ceremonies aren't practiced today because there's no high priest, there's no altar, and there's no temple. However, they are preparing for the temple. When we were in Israel, we saw the stones that will be used for the temple. We went by in our bus, and Randy happened to look over there, and he says, what's that over there? And the, the tour guide kind of got a little quiet, and he said, well, I'm supposed to tell you that those are the stones for the temple. We don't talk about them because we don't want to whatever, but that's what they are. So we actually seen the stones they're going to use. And they're not little teeny rocks like we have that are bricks. The, when they say stones, they mean big stones. Some of those stones that we've seen in the, in the foundation of the temple are 40 feet long by, I don't know, 10, 15 feet high. I have no idea. And how they got them there, I don't know. They're smart <laughs> to be able to do it. So, and they do have, they've researched the uh, genealogies of people, and uh, I've heard that they do have the lineage that needs to be the high priest. So they have that stuff ready to go. So, and you think, well, man, how long could they put up the temple? You know, the first one, they say, well, it took 40 years to build this temple. Well, I'm here today, and they say that they can put it up in three months because they have everything ready to go. So that could happen at any time, but they don't have that right now. Hosea 3, 4, and 5. <clears throat> For the children of Israel shall abide many days without king or priest, without sacrifice or sacred pillar, without the ephod or teraphim. Afterwards, the children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord, their God and David, their king. They shall fill the Lord and his goodness in the latter days. Now, Hosea's uh, prophecy has come to pass. The first part of this has been fulfilled. They have no priest. They have none of this stuff going on. But the last part of the people seeking their God and returning to their God and David, their king. Now, they don't mean actually David himself. <clears throat> David was dead already. So it'd be kind of, <clears throat> excuse me, kind of odd for them to be seeking him. <clears throat> but the Messiah is supposed to be <clears throat> excuse me, a descendant of David, their king. <clears throat> and one day that will be fulfilled. 
<coughs> of course, we know it's already been fulfilled by Christ. And he's alive today. <coughs> now, last week, we looked at the Feast of Trumpets, which started the 10 days of repentance. We're in those 10 days right now. <coughs> <coughs> I want this sermon preached this morning. Because <clears throat> I was fine until I got up here. Oh, thank you. So the devil must really hate it. So anytime I do this, you think, praise the Lord, the devil don't want that one preached. So anyway, we looked at the Feast of Trumpets, and they're in the ten days of mourning. And if you was in Israel today, you would see the, the Jewish people that you could recognize because they're in black and the hats and the, the things that they twirl these things, their hair going down, whatever it is. You'd be able to recognize them, and they would be mourning, and they would be confessing their sins, but there's 10 days they're doing that because it's a time of mourning. And Friday is actually the day of atonement for us at 9 a.m. in the morning, if you're living in Kanab, and uh, it'll be 6 o'clock or sundown in Israel on the 24th. Remember, they're a day ahead of us, or behind us, I mean, or whatever you want, day ahead of us. So on the 23rd here, we're almost subtract 12 hours or less than that from there, whatever it is, whatever, 9 to 6 p.m. figures, that's what it is. Or what does that make? Nine hours? I guess nine hours uh, ahead of us. So it's the 24th over there today. Excuse me, what's today? This is the 29th over there today. So that's how that works. That's why it's kind of confusing sometimes for us, because we forget the time zones. And uh, that. But anyway, that's going to be Friday and Saturday of this week when the Day of Atonement will happen. And uh, Revelation 2.10 <coughs> Fear, of, fear none of these things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison, that ye may be, be tried, and ye shall have tribulation ten days. Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. Now, I believe personally that these represent the time of tribulation. And I believe that these ten-day period of time equates to the time of the tribulation. Now, I know the tribulation lasts seven years. I know my Bible. But they say... This is starts the 70th week of Daniel. Well, the 70th week isn't one actual week, is it? It's a time frame. It's a year. So I don't know how this equates to it. It does not make any difference to me. God knows. But I think this represents the 10 days of mourning and things. The day that, that Israel is tried, a day of repentance, and that for them during, that, during the tribulation. And uh, so I don't know what's going to happen. Maybe it's the last 10 days of the tribulation that they accept Christ as their Messiah. I have no idea how it's going to happen. All I know is it's there. And this 10 days always bothered me. What, why is that in there? But then you equate it to the 10 days of mourning. That kind of, oh, yeah, it makes sense to me now. You get a little bit of understanding there. If that isn't what it is, that's just as good a reason as anybody else has got. So uh, the, the tribulation is not for the church. That's why we're going to be gone. There's going to be a time when the last Gentile will be saved. And the time of Gentiles will end. And maybe you're holding it up. If you want to go home, maybe you're holding it up. Maybe you're the reason. Shame, 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 shame. Maybe if we had a witness for Christ that day, we could have went home this year. But yes, you're the reason. I'm the reason. So we need to witness more because we never know. But there's going to come a time when God is going to return once more to his people. The times of the Gentiles will be over, and he will return. I'm not saying the Gentiles can't be saved, but they can. But the church ages, we know it will be over, and it starts a different time frame. And I don't want to be here during the, during the tribulation. I do not. 
But if some of you haven't accepted Christ and you are, you need to know what this Bible says is going to happen. And you need to prepare. So uh, it's good for everybody to know. Ten signifies the perfection of divine order. There are ten commandments, ten clauses in the Lord's Prayer, ten plagues, ten toes of the kingdoms, ten rebellions of Israel in the wilderness. Daniel was tested for ten days eating vegetables, <coughs> ten lepers, etc. Ten was required for public ceremonies in the synagogue, and synagogue means assembly. Beth Knesset. The Knesset is like our senate over there, meaning a house of our assembly. But 10 was required in order to do that. They couldn't have public prayer unless they had 10 people. Can you imagine? Well, we can't pray in public because we don't have 10 people. So they go around trying to find people to pray with them or do something because they needed 10 people. I know that we kind of think some of this stuff's a little silly, but you know, they had a good reason for it. You have 10 people, that's more than one, one uh, opinion. We have seven people on our board. When we get bigger, I would like 14. Our, the church we came from, they had 14 on the board, and that's a large board for most churches, even your larger churches. But seven's an odd number, and that's good for the pastor because the pastor don't get to vote unless there's a tie. And so if the pastor has to break the tie, who is half of the board going to be mad at? <laughs> this way, no one is mad at the pastor, so I like the seven. That's a good number. Besides that, four is the number of man and three is the number of, the, of God. That's a trinity. So anyway, um, <clears throat> so I believe the believers will return with Jesus on the day of atonement and he sets up his kingdom. So we have to go there. We have to get there somehow before we can return with him. And you know, some of that sounds uh, confusing. If you don't understand, we've been taken out of here because we can't come back unless we've left, you know? I can't come back to the, from the store unless I went to the store, Right? Everybody understands that. Well, the Bible says we will return with Jesus. So how can we return unless we got there? So it makes sense. Something had to happen. Well, so that something that happened was the Feast of Trumpets, I believe, and we're taken out of here. And everything, then all of a sudden, these 10 days of tribulation, and, and when we return, Jesus will fulfill the millennium or the Feast of Booths or Tabernacles, whatever you want to call it, when he sets up his kingdom for a 1,000 years. So, anyway, uh, Romans 11, 26 and 27. I do not want you to be ignorant of this mystery, brothers and sisters, so that you may not be conceited. Israel has experienced a hardening in part until the full number of Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. All Israel will be saved. And it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion. He will turn godliness away from Jacob. And godlessness away from Jacob. And this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. It says all Israel will be saved. Amen. It's the time I want to be a citizen of Israel. You too, huh? <laughs> all Israel will be saved. Of course, I don't know how many of all Israel is going to be alive when this happens. Because if you understand what happens in the tribulation, you know a lot of people are killed. And... Uh, but there's coming a time when Jesus will uh, turn back to his people and they will realize who he was and they will weep and they will mourn and they will accept him as their Messiah. And all Israel will be saved. Whew. Of course, I get to see it from the other side, so it's good for me. That's, that's, those are doodads. Man, that's good preaching. Somebody should be saying amen. Hallelujah, you know? Uh, so anyway, uh, Hebrews 9, 6 and 7. 
This is out of the Good News Bible. This is how those things have been arranged. The priest goes into the outer tent every day to perform his duties. But only the high priest goes into the inner tent, and he does so only once a year. He takes with him blood, which he offers to God on the behalf of himself and for the sins which the people have committed without knowing they were sinning. The Day of Atonement was not for will for sin. The Day of Atonement did not get away, uh, do away with all cover the sin that they willfully committed. If they knew they had committed a sin, they had to go offer a blood sacrifice. So if they're trying to hang on to the Day of Atonement, I can do what I want for a year, and then we'll have the Day of Atonement, and my sin will be gone, <laughs> they're going to be mistaken. Because they have to confess those personally and individually, lay their hands on the animal, confess their sin, and the this animal is killed for their sin. That's the way it was. The Day of Atonement is for the nation's sin, the national sin of the nation. We need a Day of Atonement in America, don't we? Amen. Hallelujah, we need it. And guess what? We're all priests. So we're required to pray for them and do the things necessary in our nation. But the Day of Atonement is only for the national sin. And that's the only day that the nation's sins are wiped out once a year. And so they look forward to this. <clears throat> this was a time of deep sorrow and a sin for, plea for God to renew and restore, especially when they were, aren't in their uh, nation. They were really weeping and mourning. Oh, Lord! I return, we want to return to your people. They prayed that all the time. We, if you go to Israel, you'll find the Gesetic Jews. They're going like this at the temple. And they're praying, Lord, renew our, your temple. Build your temple or whatever needs to be done. And people will, will write prayers and stick them in the wall. The prayer, they call them the, the, that prayer wall that they have. And there's always somebody there praying. Always, 24 hours a day. I don't care what time of day you go. And there's a place you can link on the internet that you can see the, the wall that they're praying at. And you look, I don't care what time it is, you can find people praying. Yeah. And it was kind of an awesome thing. If you wanted to go pray at the wall, which we all did, but you could not, you had to um, walk backwards when you left the wall. You weren't allowed to turn your back on it at all. Otherwise, it would not have been pretty. I don't know what they would have done if you had. So we were always informed the first time there, if you go want to pray at the wall, fine, but you have to back up. <clears throat> and only the women were allowed to pray in a certain part of the wall, and the men were allowed to pray in a certain part, and the men had to have a kamama, whatever they call those little hats, that they had to wear. The men had to have something on. So it was quite, quite the thing over there. And this is the only day of the day that they were commanded to fast. We talked about that a while back when the Pharisees had fasted many, many, many days, and I always pictured like a kid when taking the store and they lay on the floor and kick and scream because they want their own way. So I have a hard time with that. But, you know, we need to fast and pray. But fasting means fasting something and spending that time with God. It doesn't mean, oh, I'm fasting today and you're not doing anything extra. You're not supposed to tell people you're fasting unless there comes to circumstances that you are. But this was the only day they were commanded to fast. And uh, so they had to do it on that day. Leviticus 16, 3 and 4. This is how Aaron is to enter the most holy place. He must first bring a young bull for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. He is to put on the sacred linen tunic with linen undergarments next to his body. He is to tie the linen sash around him and put on the linen turban. These are sacred garments, so he must bathe himself with water before he puts them on. Now, you've got to picture this. Here's millions of people 
You know, they're sitting there and they're getting ready for that time that, that, that this is going to happen and the sins of the nation are going to be uh, done away with by this, this whatever they have to do. And so they're sitting there and they're anxious and they're, and they're gathered together and they've mourned and they've fasted. And now this is the pinnacle of that day, of that 10-day period. This is the pinnacle of that day. And it's the most holy day that they're in. But the high priest is only allowed into that in the presence of God one day a year. I'm glad I'm not there, aren't you? We can go into the presence of God every single day, every minute of the day. We're supposed to walk in the Holy of Holies throughout everything that we do. We're supposed to be walking in the Holy Spirit, walking and doing those things. The presence of God is upon us. So we are really blessed. But the high priest was the only one that had that privilege to be able to go into the Holy, Holy of Holies, but then he could not enter except with blood. It's the only way he could do it. We can't get in there either without blood, and that's the blood of the Lamb that was shed, and we're covered by his blood. That's how we get in there, the only way we get in there. But he was allowed once a year. And before he could, he had to uh, bathe and put on holy garments before he could be ready to begin. See, we have to, see, God saves us, but we have to clean ourselves up. We have to put on the garments of praise. We know that, don't we? We're supposed to put on his, the, God, the holy, clothes us with his righteousness, but it's us, up to us to put it on. So we have to do something different than what we are regularly doing. Leviticus 16, 5 through 11. From the Israelite communion, community, he is to take two male goats for a sin offering and a ram, or ram for a burnt offering. Aaron is to offer the bull for, the, for his own sin offering to make atonement for himself and his, whole, his household. Then he is to take the two goats and present them before the Lord at the entrance of the tent of meeting. He is to cast lots for the two goats, one for the Lord and one for the scapegoat. Aaron shall bring the goat whose lot fails to him, fails to the Lord, and sacrifice it for a sin offering. But the goat chosen by lot as a scapegoat shall be presented alive before the Lord to be used for making atonement by sending it into the wilderness as a scapegoat. Uh, next slide. Verse 11, Aaron shall bring the bull for his own sin offering to make atonement for himself and his household, and he is to slaughter the bull for his own sin offering. He is to take a censer full of burning coals from the altar before the Lord, two handfuls of finely ground fragrant incense, and take them behind the curtain. He is to put the incense on the fire before the Lord, and the smoke of the incense will conceal the atonement cover above the tablet of the covenant law, so shall he will not die. Next slide. This is kind of a rendition of what they think it was, whether it was or not. You see down here is the censer. This is probably what it looks like. And this had the coals that they put in here. And he took in there incense. And incense was uh, powdery stuff. And he would put it on those burning coals and it would create a fog. A fog of incense and a sweet-smelling savor that hid like a wall between him and the and the Mercy seat. That's what it was for. Cover to hide that aspect of it. Uh, verse 14. Next, next slide. He is to take some of the bull's blood and with his finger sprinkle it on the front of the atonement cover that he shall, and that's the mercy seat in case you wouldn't know. Then he shall sprinkle some of it with his finger seven times before the atonement cover. He first sacrificed his bull for, him, for himself and his families. Before he can offer a sacrifice for anyone else, he had to be pure himself. 
See, Jesus didn't have to offer a sacrifice for himself because he was sinless. So he could go right in there without offering that. We don't have that option. We have to confess our sins. And Aaron had to do that. He had to kill a goat, goat, a bull for his own sin before he could do anything else for anybody else. So then he enters the Holy of Holies with a censer in one hand and he throws the incense on it. He would sprinkle the blood of the bull. He would come out, get the blood in a, in a container, and he would come out and he would put the blood with his finger on the horns of the altar, and then he would go in there and sprinkle it seven times on the mercy seat for his sin offering of himself. Then he could offer the sacrifices for the thing. Imagine the scene. Hundreds of thousands of worshipers gathered to be reminded of God's grace and mercy. And the high point of the day is when the two goats are brought to him. One of them is sacrificed and the other is brought to him alive. One takes the punishment, the other is taken away. Leviticus 16, 15 to 19. <clears throat> he shall then slaughter the goat for the sin offering for the people and take its blood and and the, behind the curtain, and do with it as he did with the bull's goat. He shall sprinkle it on the atonement cover and in front of it. In this way, he shall take atonement for the sins. For the Most High being, let's see where to go. He shall sprinkle it on the atonement cover and in front of it. In this way, he shall make atonement for the most holy place because of the uncleanness and rebellion of the Israelites. Whatever their sins have been as a nation, he is to do the same thing for the tent of meeting, which is among them in the midst of their uncleanness. Next slide. Verse 17, no one is to be in the tent of meeting from the time Aaron goes, goes in to make atonement in the most holy place until he comes out, having made atonement for himself, his household, and the whole community of Israel. Then he shall come out to the altar, this is before the Lord, and to make atonement for it. He shall take some blood of the bull's blood and some of the goat's blood and put it on the horns of the altar. He shall sprinkle some of the blood with his finger seven times to cleanse it and to consecrate it from the uncleanness of the Israelites. On the Day of Atonement, according to Jewish writers, he went into the Holy of Holies four times on that day. First to offer incense, a second time to sprinkle the blood of the bull for his own family's sin, a third time to sprinkle the blood of the goat, and the fourth to take out the censer. And if he entered the fifth time, he would probably be killed. Only those times was he allowed. We're allowed to go in every day. Amen? Anytime we want, we can go. That's exciting. You know, they would have loved to it. All the people standing up there saying, man, what's going on in that? What's going on in there? I would like to go in the Holy of Holies. But you can't go unless you're the right pedigree and you're like right family. All those things. So because he wanted to let us know that only certain one could be the high priest. And Jesus is our high priest. Amen? <clears throat> the high priest would take, would then... Let's go to Leviticus 6, 20 and 22. When Aaron had finished making atonement for the most holy place, the tent of meeting, and the altar, he shall bring to forward the live goat. He is to lay both hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the wickedness and rebellion of the Israelites and their sin, and put them on the goat's head. He shall send the goat away in the wilderness to care, in the care of someone appointed for that task. The goat will carry on itself all their sins to a remote place, and the man shall release it into the wilderness. The high priest would lay his hands on the live goat. Remember, there was two goats. One was chosen to be killed. The other was chosen to be the scapegoat. 
and he would lay his hands and he would confess his sins on the goat, the live goat, and someone would lead it out to the wilderness and let it loose there. And they would be good for another year. I mean, there was a, it was a wonderful time for them to be able to watch their sin as it walked away. Now, the Hebrew word for the scapegoat is Aziel and carries the idea of being banished or taken away. So the scapegoat is banished and moved from their sight. Now, all their sins were placed on the head of the goat, and then just watch it as it, as it disappears into the desert. In the time of Christ, they would, wouldn't uh, did a little differently. They would take it out, I think it was 12 miles, out of the city of Jerusalem, and they would uh, push it over a high cliff until it died. Because sometimes the scapegoat came back. <laughs> and the last thing they wanted was to be chased by their sin. <laughs> It was not a pretty sight. You know, we joke around it. We watch these, these movies. Sometimes people do something, will go like this, we'll go back, back. You ever done that? Back, back. Well, the scapegoat come back. Man, you're running, get away. Help, help, scapegoat, scapegoat. They didn't want to see their sins come back, so that's why they pushed it over till it was died. Till it died. <clears throat> John 19 tells us that Jesus is brought before Pilate. The high priest and the teachers of the law demand that Jesus be killed. They have placed guilt upon his head. Jesus is beaten. A crown of thorns are placed on his head. A ring of crimson blood circles his head. Pilate presents Jesus and says, here is your king. How do the people respond? John 19, 15. Says, but they shouted, take him away, take him away, crucify him. Now Jesus is taken outside the camp by, the, by uh, Gentiles. That's why I believe that the scapegoat was led out in the wilderness by a Gentile. Because of this, this is what happened to Jesus. And Jesus is the reality of what happened. So I believe it was a Gentile that took him out to the desert. Um, and so and it's there saying, take him away. The equivalent of Aziel, take him away in the Hebrew. So it's kind of interesting. They said almost the same words over the, you know, what the scapegoat did. Take him away, send him away, get it out of here. Take that scapegoat, get it out of here. And they did the same thing with Jesus. Take him away. Almost the same word in Hebrew. I mean in, in Greek. A tradition went along with this event. A red cloth was tied to the horns of the goat to represent the sins of the people. A red cloth was also tied to the gate of the temple. If the cloth turned white, the people were assured of forgiveness. Jesus' Jewish writing tells us that after 40, about, that 40 years before the temple was destroyed in 70 AD, the red cord suddenly stopped turning white. This means something extraordinary must have happened around 70 A.D., or 30, excuse me, 30 A.D. I wonder what that could have been. Anybody know? And you notice the red cord was tied around the horns of the goat. And Jesus was crowned with the crown of thorns, so there was a circle of blood around him. Red cord, uh, kind of interesting. Isaiah 118. Come now. And let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they were red like crimson, they shall be like wool. This is almost him saying what they were talking about. I can, can, I can just see it there. I mean, we as believers, we know the instant we confess our sin, God forgives them. We know that. But they didn't know that back then. For the sins of the nation, they uh, took this goat, the scapegoat, and they tied this around his horns, and they put this around on the temple, and they led it out to the desert, and they waited, and they watched this cord to see if it would turn white. 
And it did. It turned white when the goat died. <laughs> when the goat died, uh, then it would turn white. It was a mir miracle. But suddenly it stopped because when Jesus died, he was a last offering. No other would be there. And so that was the last time it ever happened. And it's interesting. That's why you have to study God's word because there's a lot in this God's word that isn't in here that you have to learn the history and read through the Talmud and the Mishnah to be able to find out some of these goodies or these nuggets that's in there because it's amazing how God's word lines up word after word of things when we bother to study it. And that's why it's great for us to study it. Amen? Uh, let's see. So the high priest, during his time of his duties, he couldn't sit down. He had to sit there and he did it all through the whole ritual. He could not sit down until, until everything was done. And year after year this happened. Because why? Because they continued to sin as a nation and as a people. It was something that kept happening over and over again. So the pattern developed, the Feast of Tabernacles, followed by 10 days of mourning, followed by the Day of Atonement. Year after year this went on. So you can imagine how the people thought, man, we want, want that day when we don't have to do this anymore. Man, we'd want to too, wouldn't we? And they hungered for thousands of years. They said, man, we look forward to this time. We have to do this anymore. But it was just a cycle. It went on year after year, year after year. Hebrews 10, 1 to 4. The law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not coming, not the realities themselves. For this reason, it can never, by the same sacrifice, repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. He's saying, what he's saying is the offering that being offered, that they or the high priest was offering, was not a perfect sacrifice. It had to be repeated year after year after year. Otherwise, would they not have stopped being offered? For the worshipers would have cleansed, had been cleansed once for all and would no longer have felt guilt, guilty for their sin. But those sacrifices are an annual reminder of their sins. It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. Day of Atonement was a shadow of a day when sins would be cleansed once and for all. Amen. Types and shadows, we hear that a lot, don't we, when you go to church. It's a type or it's a shadow. And Jesus fulfilled everything that was said about him was, was fulfilled. And everything about him that is going to be fulfilled when he comes again. How do I know? Hey, it says it in here. He said it before things happen, so I believe it. There's enough evidence in here for me to put my faith in there. I don't put my faith in man. I put him in God and God's word. I don't care what anybody says about this word. If God isn't big, a big enough God to keep his word true, then he's not God. It's as simple as that. If he, if he created the world, what's, what's keeping his word accurate? How hard is that for him? It's not hard. And that's why they have sought. The Jewish people hold his word in very deep respect, and the people that have translated his word have done the same thing. Now, <clears throat> Uh, <clears throat> excuse me, Isaiah 53, 5-6. He was pierced for, for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. We are like sheep who have gone astray. Each of us turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of all. He was pierced for our transgression. Those are the things that we do. He was bruised. He was crushed for our iniquities. That's what we are. We're sinners. And the punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. Peter said it this way. 
In 1 Peter 2, 23 and 24. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. Jesus is the cure for sin. Simple as that. We have a cure. Jesus died to give us the cure. And only those that accept the cure can be healed. I know they're looking for uh, vaccinations or whatever you call it for this Ebola virus because it's so dangerous. They can do that. And when they find the cure, it's useless if it stays in the needle. It's no good to them. They have to accept the cure. Well, the same thing happens as sinners. If we don't accept the cure, then we'll die and go to hell. God provided us a, a cure for our sin, and he provided us a healing. Because now we aren't going to die. We've been raised with him. We are going to live because we took the cure. Well, I'm going to live because I have the cure flowing through my veins and covered with the blood of the Lamb, which is the sin, the covering for my sin. Not a covering because the sacrifices that they did then could only cover the sin. It did not get away or do away with it. But one day, if they accept Christ, it's not only covered, it's gone. God can't even see it anymore. It's impossible for God to see the sin that I've confessed. Now think about that. There are some things that are impossible for God to do. Remember the sins that I committed and confessed. It's impossible. God can't forgive it. The devil doesn't remember them, and he tells us about them all the time. He makes sure we know about it. But God, you sit there and say, God can say, oh, I'm sorry I did this. He says, what? I don't remember you doing that. Why? Because we confessed them. So if they're brought up, it's us that's doing the bringing up, not God. Because they are gone. They are far as the east is from the west. Now, if you know anything about a compass, you can go east forever and never hit west. Never. Or go west and you'll never go east. It's impossible. But if you go north for far enough, the sooner or later it's going to turn south. Or you go south long enough, you'll pretty soon it'll turn north. But east and west will never, never change. Isn't that exciting? That's how far away your sin is. As far as the east is from the west. Can't be found. It's gone forever. That should make you excited this morning. Woo! Makes me excited. I don't have to worry about it anymore. Hebrews 10, 11 through 14. Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices. What can never be taken away, can never take away sins. But when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. And since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. For by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Hallelujah! Jesus sat down. It's finished. Atonement had been made. Jesus took all of our sins on himself and became the final sacrifice. Jesus, the ultimate high priest, paid for our sins. This was the end of the sacrificial system. Hallelujah! I'm glad. The price had been paid. The debt had been taken care of. God wants to give you the cure for the disease of sin. The goat has left the building. That's exciting. Hallelujah. So if you're here this morning and you don't know God, you don't have the cure. And you're going to die in your sins one day unless you accept the cure. Now, I don't know whether you're here this morning and you don't know God, 
But if you don't, I, you need to get it right. We're living in the last days. And all, one day, we're going to be taken out of here, and you're going to wonder, oh, man, I wish I'd listen to Pastor. I wish I'd listen to Pastor. Because you will. Remember that video last week that we showed where the, they were talking about the rapture, and all of a sudden, whoo, and the Bible falls to the ground, and people are gone, and people in the congregation are praying, oh, I wish I'd been ready. I wish I'd have believed. There's going to be a lot of people in church that day. If it didn't happen on Sunday, a lot of people are going to show up at the church. And most of the people in the church will be gone. The people that have sat here year after year and week after week hearing the gospel of salvation and the sacrifice that he paid for our sin are sitting here and saying, oh, I wish I would have done it. I wish I would have, but wish will not add you to the rapture of the ones that left. You, have to, you can still accept Christ, but your seven-year time that you're going to go through with it, you wish you were dead. Just survive the time and you may die. He has a martyr for Christ. Because one day, that's how bad it's going to be on this earth. And I don't want to be here. And I don't want anyone here to be here. Now I'm praying that everybody here knows God. And I'm praying here that everyone here has confessed him before men. Have you confessed him before men? If you claim to be a Christian and a believer, have you done that? If you haven't, you need to. And the best way to do that is by baptism. That's what it is. See, baptism isn't something we do because we got water and we have to do it once in a while, the ritual, to make sure that we're doing what, what the Bible says. No, what we're doing is giving everyone that accepts him as personal Savior an opportunity to confess him publicly to the people. And if you can't do it in a church setting, how are you ever going to do it in the world? You say, well, when the rapture happens and you, everybody's gone, then I'll know and I'll accept Christ. I would venture to say that most of you will not. Most of you won't accept him. Because if you can't accept him now when it's easy, it's going to be awful hard for you there to do it. See, but when you get dunked in this tank, what you're doing is saying, I'm dying to myself. I've confessed my sins. And I am dying, and this is the symbol of my burial. See, Jesus died and he was buried. And this is the way we associate ourselves with his death. And we say, I'm dying to myself. I'm going to live for Christ. And when you come up, you're saying, my life is no longer mine. It belongs to God. People that say, I can do whatever I want and make heaven, one day you're going to be surprised because you can't. If you want to do everything that you did before you got saved, then you're not saved. Say, well, that's kind of harsh. No, that's what the Bible says. The Bible says you'll be a new creation. And if there's no difference in your action and no difference in your heart and your attitude, then you need to get saved. I changed drastically when I became a Christian. I changed a lot. And a lot of people all of a sudden didn't want to be around me no more. They called me a Jesus freak. And I was. <clears throat> I was. And I, I'll tell you, I, I was a new creation. Old things were passed away. Behold, all things become new. Now, how can all things become new if you're still hanging on to the old stuff? See, a lot of reason that people don't get saved is they're hanging on to their sin. Man, I could, I'd get Christian, I'd join the church, and I'd do all these things, but there's just something about, I just want to do this. Till you're willing to give it up, you can never be saved. God isn't going to take everything in your life away from you, but you have to be willing to let him. I was willing to let God take everything out of my life if he wanted to. 
And my dad told me one day, he says, man, you got to stop this Jesus stuff because you're going to lose Randy and he's the best thing that ever happened to you. And in the old Sonder, man, I'd have changed my P's and Q's, you know. I'd have done something. But I told my dad, I says, even if I lose Randy, I'm going to serve God. And he said, oh, I can't believe you did that. You'd do that. But see, he was important to me. But I was willing to give him up for Jesus. Is there something in your life you're not willing to give up for Jesus? I'm glad it wasn't football. <laughs> Aren't you? <laughs> but if you asked me, I would. I wasn't hanging on to it with a dead grip, you know. When, people, when a plane's going to crash, mm, they got gripped on things and tied because they're whatever. Whatever you're hanging on to that you want to get rid of, that's going to be what you have to give up to be a Christian. You can either go to heaven and not have it, or you can go to hell and hang on tight. One or the other. Those are the choices. So that's pretty harsh. Well, I'm tired of making the gospel smell good so people will accept it. Oh, people want to come, but they don't want to talk about that sin stuff because it offends them. Well, that's too bad. I would rather offend people than please God. Wouldn't you? We can't live for God and not offend somebody. So if you're trying to live your Christian life and not offend, offend anybody, you need to start worrying, quit worrying about that. Let God take care of it. Say, well, I'll lose my friends. Well, so what? They're not your friends. We lost a lot of friends. Actually, we lost all of them except one. Seth, that's it. We lost everybody. And everybody just loved to be around us, so it was quite a loss. <laughs> But one hung it out with us, and they ended up getting saved. Because when, you, when you're willing to do that, God gives you blessing upon blessing. Now, wouldn't you like your family being saved? Well, maybe if you're willing to give up everything, maybe they will come to Christ. Because they'll realize this is the most important thing in your life. And you're going to hang on to it. I want to live for the most important thing there is. Because then they'll be able to see, you know, maybe there's something there. Maybe it isn't a religion. Maybe it isn't the church they're going to. Maybe there's something there that I don't know about. Because a lot of people go to church. We know a lot of people go to church, don't we? They go to church, and they uh, return Sunday after Sunday, and they're not changed. They're the same person they always was. Same every day. When we have a relationship with Christ, we're changed from the inside out. Religion is trying to change from the outside in. And it'll never work. That's why religion... It's a curse. We, have, we go to church and, and we have those religious things that we do because we need to provide a place for the people to come and share and help each other and build each other up and be a blessing to each other and play for each other. And we're here to learn. And hopefully you're learning something this morning. Hopefully you are. If you don't know Christ, I want you to accept him this morning. Let's pray. Morgan, go to the change. Okay, our President Father, Lord, we're, we're thankful for your word, and we're thankful, Lord, for the Day of Atonement. When you didn't walk into the tent of meeting here, you didn't walk into the temple, Solomon's temple, or any other temple that they may have had, you walked into the Holy of Holies in the heaven itself, and you did not take the blood of bulls and goats, but you presented your own blood on the altar for our sin, because it was only perfect blood that could be accepted for a permanent cure. Lord, and I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for everybody in this congregation that has accepted you as their personal Savior. But, Lord, I'm also asking if there's someone here this morning who doesn't know you, I ask, Lord, that they quit playing church and finally start stepping up to the plate.